Good evening, everyone, and want to welcome you all to our Wednesday evening devotional time. We're going to be studying tonight in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you would, open your Bible to that place, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Hope that you're having a good week. Appreciate you taking the time to tune in tonight and uh, study with us as uh, we've been doing this for the last couple of months. Uh, not able to meet in the normal way, but we are uh, having this as a kind of class and devotional and appreciate you tuning in and uh, following along with us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, the verse that's going to be our focus tonight is verse 14. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So in these Wednesday devotional lessons, what I have tried to do is to tie things together into a kind of series so last month we talked about the idea of who we are as Christians and different pictures that are used throughout the New Testament to describe that. And we talked last week about becoming who you are. Well, since it's a new month, I thought I would start something new. And uh, I plan to preach for this entire month on Wednesday nights uh, from this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Now, I know that sounds like a tall order, uh, but I want to alert you to the fact that this verse is extremely rich. There is a lot here. So the verse says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And so he talks to different groups and says, As you deal with and engage with different groups, deal with them in a different way. And the key insight here is that we need spiritual discernment in how we deal with each other. People act the way they act for different reasons. So we can't think that all people deserve the same treatment or that everyone who acts a certain way does so from a certain motive. In fact, we can't think that everybody would benefit in the same way from the same treatment. Sometimes our kids are like this. As parents, we can recognize in our kids when sometimes they're just being obstinate. And so when they're being obstinate, we deal with them in a certain way. Sometimes they're upset or discouraged and we don't treat them quite as harshly in those times. Sometimes they're just tired or just hungry and we don't deal with them in the same way in those times. And in such cases, we don't excuse their behavior. That's not the issue. The issue is when we understand where they are, then we understand how to appeal to them in the best way. We respond differently to them. And that's what Paul is telling us to do. He is saying, treat others in a way that is sensitive to their peculiar situation. Now this verse that we're going to be studying for the next several weeks it comes to us in the context of the first letter to the Thessalonians. Thessalonica is a place where Paul began the church and then had to leave very quickly. He was run out of town. And this letter, which most scholars believe is the earliest of Paul's letters, this letter is telling the story of how Paul was worried about them because he didn't know how they were doing, and then how relieved he was to hear they were doing okay. And so he talks a lot about their relationship, and then he says... I've got a few things to straighten out with you. Now, those few things in 1 Thessalonians seem to be two main issues. One is the issue of when is Jesus coming back? Or, and to put it another way, what do we think about people who have died? And how do the, the second coming of Christ and the death of our, our friends and brothers, how do those things connect? The, the second issue is the issue of some of them seem to have quit working. And so they're, they're not working, they're idle. Some people suggest, some scholars suggest, that the reason they had quit working is because they thought that Jesus was going to come back any day. 
I, I don't really see that. I don't see any evidence for those two things being connected. That would be convenient, but I don't see it. Instead, I think we have to treat those as two separate problems. So what he says, look in verse 12 with me, 1 Thessalonians 5:12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So this is the closing of the letter. And Paul says, respect and esteem those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now that seems to be an authority statement, especially the idea of being over you in the Lord. And that seems to me to speak to elders. I don't believe that speaks to Paul and his cohorts, those who are preaching, because Paul particularly says extensively, don't think of me as over you. I'm not lording it over your faith. Or he says in 1 Corinthians, we are just servants through whom you believed. But what I would say about these verses is that they teach us to value our elders, he says in verse 13, because of their work. So it's not because they're perfect or we always agree with their decisions, but we respect our elders and we follow our elders because they love us and we love them and they are doing a work that benefits us. And especially, do you notice that at the end of verse 13? Be at peace among yourselves that I don't want to be the kind of person who causes grief for my elders because I can't be at peace with others. But it's not elders who are given the instruction in our verse. Verse 14, he says, and we urge you brothers. He speaks broadly of the entire group. And the first instruction is what we're going to focus on tonight. We urge you brothers, admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. Now, your version may have a little bit of a different reading. Uh, the New King James says, warn those who are unruly. The New American Standard says, admonish the unruly. The NIV says, warn those who are idle and disruptive, which adds a little bit. Uh, the message, this is always, a, it's not really a translation, but more of a paraphrase, but I like the wording here. The message says, warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Which I thought it added something to it. What, what's, the, what's the reason for all those differences? Well, I want to think a little bit about this passage because the difficulty here is what does this word mean that's translated in the ESV, idle, or yours might say disorderly or unruly? Well, the, the issue here is that it's not really clear. It's a word that just kind of means to be out of order. But Paul is going to apply that word directly to the issue of idleness. He'll do that in 2 Thessalonians. So look with me in 2 Thessalonians 3, just a page or two over in your Bible. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 11. He says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, and that's our word, disorderly. Uh, some walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So some are disorderly, and that disorderliness consists of not working. They are idle. So, I do think it's safe to say that what Paul is saying here is admonish the idol. And I want to think about what that's going to mean for us for a few minutes tonight. So, the first thing I want to say is that when we talk about idleness, we need to see that idleness is spiritually destructive. All of the states in verse 14, whether we're talking about being faint-hearted or being weak, they're not simply physical states. They are often a blend of the physical and the spiritual. Sometimes we're faint-hearted because of things that are happening to us physically, but that affects our spiritual state. And sometimes when we are idle physically, there is spiritual consequence to that. So it is with laziness. If we won't work physically, there's a spiritual concern. And what I want to do for just a moment is recall with you the number of passages in the book of Proverbs that talk about the sluggard or the lazy man. 
And I want you to see how if you apply the, the principles of physical laziness, they're directly going to transfer to some spiritual concerns. So first of all, uh, this is Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 11, where he talks about how we need to learn something from ants. He says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So what we're seeing here, if, if I were to summarize this, is that idleness shows a lack of foresight and planning. Notice how he talks about the, the slugger, I'm sorry, the ant, who even though she doesn't have you know, the government telling her what to do, she doesn't have chiefs and officers and rulers, she prepares her bread, she prepares for the harvest. She's ready now for what's coming. There's another passage, this is uh, Proverbs 24, the slugger does not plow in the autumn, he will seek at harvest and have nothing. So here's the issue. The issue is the sluggard doesn't prepare for what's ahead. Now, that might look like a physical thing to you, but that's also a concern spiritually. That's also a concern where if I'm not prepared for what's going to happen tomorrow, I might not be ready for when Jesus comes back. In fact, that's specifically what's talked about in 1 Thessalonians 5, that we need to be ready for the return of Jesus because Jesus is coming back. So we prepare for the future we look ahead, we wait, and we work for something that we don't see yet. We learn that first in physical things, I think, because in physical things we say, you know what, I'm not going to have food tomorrow if I don't work today. But if I'm refusing to work today physically, then that leads to some spiritually destructive behaviors. Oh, what about this? Laziness leads to us not accomplishing our goals. Look in uh, Proverbs 13 and verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So the problem here is not that the lazy person doesn't have any ambition or goals in life. It's that he craves, but he doesn't get there because he's a sluggard. He doesn't work to get what he wants. So if we don't know how to work to get what we want, we're not going to achieve our goals. Now, that's one kind of problem in the physical sense where we say, you know, we might have a lot of things we want to accomplish physically, but we can't because we're lazy. But isn't it also true that, that this can happen spiritually, that we want to be somewhere, we want to have something, we want to go somewhere, and yet we can't get there because we refuse to put in the work in our spiritual lives. We refuse to do what God says. We refuse to put in the effort and time to grow. And so idleness becomes an issue not just physically. It is spiritually destructive. And idleness also means that we are hesitant to face our problems. This is Proverbs 22, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Can't go outside. Don't want to do anything because there are a million things that could go wrong if I did it. Now, that looks like a legitimate concern. Well, if I go outside, there's a lion out there. That's dangerous. But what we see from the fact that he's described as a sluggard is he's just using that as an excuse to justify his laziness. So when we are lazy, we learn how to avoid facing the things we don't want to face, doing things that we don't want to do. We just don't do them, and our laziness then is justified. Now, if that's a problem physically, and certainly it is, then it's also a spiritual danger. So that's just a quick survey of some of the things in Proverbs about idleness or laziness. What I want to see 
for the rest of our time is what Paul says in the context is the danger of idleness. First, he says that idleness is not the way of Christ. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So he's going to talk about this in terms of how he acted when he was among them. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 2, 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So he says, remember what you heard and saw in us. We were there with you. We preached to you. We taught you about Jesus. And when we were there, think about how we acted. Particularly, we were known for working hard. And Paul and his companions had the right to ask for support. He'll talk about that in the passage we look at in a minute. But they didn't ask for support because he wanted to give the example of working hard with his own hands. So he says, remember, as you live your life as a Christian, remember that Christians don't live lazy. You didn't learn laziness from us, he says. That's not the way of Christ. Turn the page to 2 Thessalonians 3. 2 Thessalonians 3, where he addresses this in a little more detail. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6, it says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So he says, you remember the things that we did, and then remember what wasn't what we did. So particularly, he says, look in verse 6, he says, We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Laziness is not the way of Christ. That's not what you learned from us. That's not what we taught you. That's not what we lived before you. And then he talks about what they did. Again, he goes back to that example. It's almost as if he won't stop talking about, remember how we lived. He says, we didn't take your bread. We worked our fingers to the bone so that we wouldn't be a burden to any of you. You keep that in mind because idleness is not the way Jesus wants us to live. Even preachers, he says, who might have made a claim on you supporting them. He says, we didn't do that because we don't want anybody to learn even from us that idleness is the way to go because idleness is not the way of Christ. Turn the page back to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul talks even more about this in verse 10. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 10. He says at the end of the verse, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now that is the way of Christ. Living quietly, minding our own business, walking properly before others, being dependent on no one. There's an irony in the verse. In verse 11, he says to aspire to live quietly. One scholar had talked about the idea is make it your ambition to have no ambition. That is, aspire not to greatness, but to lowliness. And there is the desire that we will be able to take care of our own business. And to do that, we're going to have to work. 
I also want you to notice in verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. This is in line with the constant New Testament teaching that other people are watching us. And that they're watching for any chink in the armor of the gospel to have a reason to dismiss it. Sometimes I talk about that with our attitude toward the government or with our sinful lives or with the way that sometimes family relationships don't work. But whatever it is, people are looking for the chink in the armor and he says, you be sure you're not being idle because you don't want to teach outsiders that the way of Christ is about laziness. You don't want people to learn Christ like that. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That is the way of Christ. Working with our own hands instead of stealing. A way of giving instead of taking. That's what other people should see. And it's important for us to say that when people look at the church and see laziness, or when new converts are brought into a climate of laziness, or when our kids are raised in laziness, that that lifestyle is going to perpetuate itself. When we are lazy in our work, or we're lazy in our spiritual service, it's going to spread. And Paul says, that's not what Jesus teaches you. The other thing Paul says is that idleness burdens other people. We're here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at verse 12. In verse 12 it says, So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Be dependent on no one. So you take care of your business, you mind your own affairs, and don't be dependent on anyone. So when I don't take care of my own business, and I don't meet my own needs and the needs of my family, I create a problem for someone else. I become your problem. Somebody has to take care of me. And that is not loving. I am forcing others to give because I refuse to take care of my own business. Turn the page to 2 Thessalonians 3. I suspect that this is why in 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul is so adamant about this that he talks repeatedly about the danger of someone becoming a burden on others and even a burden on the church, the people who now have to take care of them because others won't take care of their own responsibilities. 2 Thessalonians 3. I want to read beginning in verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now, we, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So several things here. In verse 8, he talks about the fact that we didn't take advantage of you. And he says specifically in verse 8, we, with toil and labor, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. That's his point. That's his goal. Now, normally, that wouldn't be an issue. The Jerusalem church, for example, had all things in common. They shared with each other. 
But Paul says, I didn't take anyone else's breath because I was concerned in your case and in this situation, I would become a burden to you. And I didn't want that. In verse 10, he says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So he says, when we were with you, we lived by and we taught you this. If someone won't work, don't let him eat. Now, sometimes when I've heard this passage discussed, it's discussed as sort of a principle for life. If you want to eat, you need to work. Eating follows working. I don't believe that's what Paul is saying here. I don't think it's just a principle for life. I think he is instructing the community. Don't feed people who refuse to work. If they won't work, don't let them foist their laziness onto you. So that's not only unproductive for them, but it's burdensome for you. It's both. We should each take care of our own business. It's a warning. And I know this is, this is going to sound strange, and I, I want to point out that it should sound strange to us, but it's a warning that generosity is not always helpful. Because generosity sometimes can cloak someone else's refusal to take responsibility for themselves. Now, I don't want to squelch the generous spirit by saying that. And I don't want to mislead us into thinking that Christianity is all about tough love and we should never share with anyone. I don't want to obscure the fact that this could cloak some evil motives where we could say, you know what, I don't think you're working hard enough. I'm not going to give you anything. Sometimes all of those things are still dangers. But what Paul is saying needs to be said that we don't want to make other people's irresponsibility legitimate by continuing to share with them when they refuse to work. He says in verse 10 there, if anyone is not willing to work. So this is not really about situations where someone's been hurt or where someone is unable to find work. This is about an unwillingness. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to live off of other people. The point is unwillingness. So then verse 11, he says, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So instead of being productive and helpful, they are in other people's business. And that is a problem. It's damaging to them and it's damaging to the people whose business they're getting into. Verse 14. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. So we're talking about someone who persists in idleness. He says that also in verse 6. So he says, have nothing to do with them. They're refusing to listen, refusing to change their lives to be in the way of Christ. Don't let them be a burden on you. Being a Christian means that I must be aware of the impact my behavior and life has on other people. I'm not alone in the world. And I understand that if others give me something, it means they lose something. And while that generosity is a blessing, it is burdensome for me to continually request or demand it. And that's not what Paul envisions for the Christian community, where some groups of people make constant demands on other groups of people. Instead, he says, each of you take care of his own business. So back to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14. The verse that we're focusing on. What, what is the goal then? What is the point? If idleness is such an issue, what do we do about it? 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. So the word is admonish, and it is a word that means to teach in a strong way. It is to warn, it is to remind, it is to correct, it is to reprimand or restrain. 
And there is an emphasis in the word admonish on instruction. There is something to be taught. So it is the word, for example, in the noun form that we use to say, or Paul uses to say in Ephesians 6, to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, these things are written for our instruction, to teach us, to admonish us. Often, the word admonish has a warning aspect. So Paul admonishes the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. And even here, in 2 Thessalonians that we read, it says to don't treat him as an enemy, but admonish or warn him as a brother. So we are instructed to admonish the idol. Not to mutter and complain about them to other people. Not to resent their intrusion. Can you believe so-and-so? They just won't take care of their own stuff. Talk to them and teach them like a brother that what they are doing is not according to the example of Christ. Teach them to wake up and to work, both in physical ways and in spiritual ways. In fact, I want to say, I think there is room for admonishing those who become spiritually lax and spiritually lazy. And all of us need to be aware of the fact that our energy in those things ebbs and flows, and that there is room for us to be admonished about that. So when we talk about admonishing, this is not about a rant where we chew everybody out. You need to straighten up. You just make me so mad. It's not about our anger at all. It is a direct, reasonable instruction where we tell people what they are doing and why it's a problem. I will also remind you that this instruction to admonish the idol is addressed not to elders, but to the broader Christian community. That, a community problem, means it's a community responsibility. Admonish the idol. So some people come to Christ from families and environments where work was not encouraged. They don't know how to do it. They don't know what it looks like. Some see their newfound Christian brothers as a never-ending source of charity. They don't see that as a problem. They think everybody else seems eager to give. It's what they're supposed to do as Christians. That's what churches are for. At least that's what our world tells them. And so they think, why should I bother working or taking care of my own things? Sometimes Christians spend a long time working or serving the Lord, and they lapse into inactivity. And they might not even realize that they've done it. Sometimes our children want to follow the path of least resistance. And that translates into laziness. Sometimes people are resentful when others try to encourage them to work and take care of their own business. They say things like, you need to stay out of my business. You need to quit worrying about me and what I'm doing and just give me. And they say that you're intruding into my personal life. In all of those situations, the answer is the same. Admonish the idol. For my part, even though I know that this is an impersonal medium, you're not here with me, I want to say for my part, let's be a hard-working people and work hard for Jesus. Let's do our physical work as to the Lord and not to men. Let's not be men-pleasers, but serve the Lord Christ. 
Let's not do an average job or a passable job. Let's do an outstanding job. I want to be the kind of person who people see me at work and know that I am doing all I can in my work because I'm serving Jesus and not people. And if you're not doing that, I urge you, I admonish you to consider your lifestyle. But more than that, let's transfer all that energy and work ethic, not just from physical work, but transfer it into the spiritual realm. The work that we do as a congregation, the work that we do in our families to teach our children, to teach one another and pray with one another. Let's be diligent and focused about our Bible study and our prayer and our service to each other and our sharing with our neighbors. Let's resolve to quit being idle. That's what Paul says the Christian community should be about. Would you pray with me about that? And we'll conclude our time together tonight. Our God and Father, we thank you so much that you have blessed us with your word, that you have shared with us your vision for how your people should live together. We are thankful, Father, that you have blessed us so richly to live in the land that we live in, that we have one another to lean on, that we share in the blessings of Christ, and that we share in the physical things together. Father, we are thankful for the belonging that we have as your children. We're thankful that we belong with you and that we belong with one another. And Father, you have instructed us here to be careful about taking responsibility for our own lives, trusting that you will provide for us, but that we also must not only seek first your kingdom, but also do what we can to pursue and work hard with our own hand. And Father, I pray that you'll help us as we try to apply this and think this through as we look at our own lives and our own work ethic, as we think about both our physical and spiritual dimensions, help us, Father, to be willing to admonish those who are idle. And help us, Father, to be willing to be taught when others see that we are not living with the faithfulness that you deserve. Father, I pray that you'll give us humility about this and help us to work together as a Christian community to be exactly what you've called us to be. Father, we pray for those who are sick, and we pray for those who are recovering from surgeries and recovering from injuries, and we pray your healing hand on them. I pray, Father, that you will help us and be with us to continue to reach out and to strengthen the connections that we have with each other in this time where we are not able to be physically together as often. And Father, I pray that you'll bless your people here, help us to continue to work for you and to teach others about you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.